0: well hi everybody this is mike howard welcome to another edition of the Ronan leadership podcast Uh, it's been a a couple weeks uh we've had some uh, personal travel and uh just trying to get situated back here uh, a lot of other things on the plate, but glad to be back uh, in front of all of you all with a, another podcast. Uh, we're uh, gearing up for another series of uh, people that we're going to bring on onto um, onto the podcast that I think you'll enjoy. Appreciate all of your comments, all of your thoughts, um, and all your subscribership. We're growing our subscribership on a regular basis, so thanks for spreading the word. Um, and uh, if this is your first time, or if you haven't done so already, please hit the subscribe button, hit the like button. Please tell everyone that you know about the, the podcast. This is a leadership podcast, but we talk about a lot of different things as well. We're actually going to really start expanding a lot more uh, of this podcast. So leadership will always be a big part of the DNA, but uh, certainly other things about whether it's the political issues, cultural issues, uh, personal health wellness, all these other things, we're going to really start to expand what we're doing uh, in, in our, uh, our, uh, our podcast. Um, I have three books out. Uh, the Art of Ronin Leadership was my first book. Uh, it's available on Amazon and on our website, mikehowardauthor.com Wrote a, a, a sequel to that, The Art of Executing Ronin Leadership Strategies. Um, And that, uh, again, available on different mediums that you can find on our website. Uh, The one that I'm really promoting right now is uh, my latest. It's called Full Circle. It is my first foray into the action thriller genre. It's got some great reviews. uh, People who've read it, Uh, I think you will enjoy it. It's about a CIA officer engaged in some uh, interesting uh, activities against bad guys. I thought he was out of the game, but now he's back. Uh, I think it's a it's a it's a fun read. I think you'll enjoy it. And if you do, I encourage you obviously to buy it and read it. And then, if you so uh, desire, please uh, put your review on Amazon.com, uh, and uh, it it really helps us authors out a lot. So <clears throat> thinking about what to talk about today, uh, and literally, I thought about this topic uh, less than half an hour ago. Um, I am part of uh, the Colorado Authors uh, Hall of Fame Board of Directors. Uh, a great friend of mine, Judith Bryles, they call her the Book Shepherd, who has uh, collaborated with me on all of my books, uh, is out of Colorado. She started uh, the Colorado Authors Hall of Fame, and even, even though uh, I don't, we don't live in Colorado, um, she asked me to be part of uh, the, the the board. Uh, which we do a lot of different things to support authors, obviously, uh, primarily in, in Colorado. But we uh, we have inductees every year for a ceremony for uh, awards for ability to publish and have influence in the literary world. And uh, it's been quite an experience to be part of this group. Uh, and as we were going through uh, looking at inductees for this year's uh, Hall of Fame. Um, towards the end of it after we'd gone through all of our um, our evaluations, right? And we we decided who we were going to bring into the Hall of Fame. You may hear my dog every so often. She's got very sharp ears and uh, if she hears anything around, she's a chihuahua, but she's a pretty good guard dog. You might hear her barking every so often, but it's okay. Uh, so at the end of the meeting, uh, she was just positioned something that she thought would be fun, right? Uh, so she said they do a, a featuring a, an author on, on I think, her podcast um, every so often. And uh, one of the questions that she's going to start asking is, okay, who are the, uh, maybe the, uh, the 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 top people that you would invite to a dinner party? And we kind of noodled on that for her. It was actually fun. It was a fun exercise. And I thought, yeah, you know, that's it that's that's really cool. So I thought I would spend this podcast just kind of looking at and talking about if if I were going to have a dinner party, you know, outside of, you know, my wife Janice, who would who would I want to invite? And and the criteria is you can invite anyway, they don't have to be alive. They could be deceased, but people that you thought would be very interesting to be at a party. And I, I think that you should try that as an exercise, um, either with your friends or family, or whatever, because it's kind of very interesting to see who you invite and why you invite the, uh, with those particular individuals. So I thought just for fun, uh, we and there, is, there are obviously leadership tie-ins here. I'm going to give you, if I had a dinner party, who are the people I would invite? Yes, so, um, and there, there are no order of of, you know, I do top person to the bottom person. These are the people I thought of, kind of stream of consciousness, who I'd invite. And the first name came to mind actually is a, is a person that a lot of you probably haven't heard of. Uh, that person, his name is uh, Bass Reeves. Uh, Bass Reeves uh, African-American, US Marshal back in the 1800s. Um, he was the first black US Marshal and for uh, many historians, he was the role model for what eventually became the Lone Ranger uh, because he was a lawman. Uh, he often used disguises and pretext to uh, get close to the people that he was going after, the outlaws. Uh, he often used uh, his Native American friends uh, to help him in getting information or tracking, so hence the Lone Ranger in Tonto. Uh, he was responsible for Apprehending three thousand, uh, they estimate three thousand bad guys, outlaws back in the day, involved in numerous gunfights. Uh, actually, uh, ended up having to arrest his own son for murder. Um, and so, he is a. Uh, and there's going to be a series. Apparently, I can't remember. It's Netflix, maybe Netflix, uh, one of the streaming services. They're they're readying a series on Bass Reeves. But he, we, when I heard about him, I read a. a watched this uh, show on western history and they featured bass reeves and i got a book and read about bass reeves fascinating person think about it you know of you know, being an african-american alone back in the 1800s the racism you might have faced let alone being a lawman but he was a very conscientious prolific lawman to have him at the dinner table talking about you know just what he experienced uh professionally of course you know i'm former law enforcement and that's that's in my DNA. So just talking like cop to cop over the generations would be really interesting to see. And I love the Wild West and history, but then also you know the the struggles he faced as a human being, uh, racism or just uh, even other law law officers not thinking that he could do the job when he ended up doing the job better than a lot of them. I think that would be great. So he he came up top of mind. Um, Another person is Lee Child. So Lee Child uh, is an author, still alive. Currently, uh, uh, the author of the best-selling uh, Jack Reacher series, and an inspiration for me for many, many years. And I know a lot of you read Lee Child, and they've got the new uh, the series on Amazon Prime, Jack Reacher. And so I like I like Lee Child because I. He inspired me. He's one of the ones that have have inspired me to write and get into fiction. I've always wanted to write number one, and so I was able to kind of feed that uh, that that appetite for writing with my first two books. and then, but the writing for fiction was just something different. and i I did it, and I really enjoy it and writing a sequel. And it's not like you you want to copy and emulate because Jack Reacher, it's its own thing, but you can glean, you know, the way to write prose, pacing, timing, etc. And so, you know, I'd love to sit down with, with Lee Child, have him at the dinner table and tell us, you know, how did you come up with this? And I know it's you can look it up and but just to have him talk about how'd you come up with the idea of Reacher? Why did you make him an ex-military cop when, when he got when Lee Child got into the genre, most of your protagonists in the action thriller characters were either police cops, uh, or uh, not military, but you know, just regular police cops or they were private investigators, things like that. He made his um, a former military cop investigator and kind of roaming the earth, kind of like Kwai Chang Kang in the old Kung Fu series and then running into a series of trouble all the time. And, and so that would be great for me just to, to pick his brain and also to see, you know, how do you come up with storylines and how do you develop your characters? Uh, for writers, you know, we, we love to, to Talk to each other about how that works. Um, Barack Obama. So uh, a lot of you uh, who know me know I, I lean relatively conservative. Uh, Janice and I are not part of any any party. We're independents, and I'll go. I will vote for whoever's policy I believe would be best for the community, for the state, for the uh, for the country, depending on what the election is all about. Um, but I tend to lean uh, pretty conservative. But I would love to have uh, President Obama at the table. Uh, first of all, when I was first getting into the speaking game, you know first starting to make speeches at Microsoft and a uh, little bit unsure, you know your first couple of speeches you make, and um, it's it's a growth process. And so if I could look at myself back, and I say, oh, you know, early 2000s when I had to start to speak in public or mid-2000s to now, uh, there's a great difference, I'm sure. Uh, but a lot of things I did back then, I studied speakers. I, I studied people like Barack Obama and watched how he spoke, his inflections, uh, how he, how he connected with the audience. And there are various ways to speak. You know, you could be very scripted, uh, or you could be really off the cuff. And he was great at doing both. He could ad lib in a moment's notice, which I think is a great gift for a speaker because it really helped you bond with the audience. So, from the speaking aspect, I think you know he was a great influence for me. But also, just to sit there and pick his brain uh, about um, you know how he dealt with the pressures of the presidency as first uh, black president, uh, what were his, uh, how did he develop his priorities, how did he deal with opposition from the on the Republican Party, how did uh, how did he manage his day? Uh, what does he do to unwind? And you and I actually just read an article uh, on how he kind of uh, managed his day. And while well, exercise was important to him, family was important to him, quiet time was important to him, and how he laid that out. But I think it'd be great to have you know. Obama at the table, just uh, because I think he's a very personable person. I think he, you know, politics aside, I think he really cares about people. And I think he'd be really, really great uh, to be at the table. And obviously, uh, having Michelle at the table would be great, too, because um, she championed a lot of great causes. She's also a great speaker. Um, She has a lot of passion for life. And she's uh, someone that's been a, a great wife and a supporter. Uh, for Barack Obama and he's been a great supporter of her and and for the the issues that she's involved in so I think having them together both at the table actually would be great um another person would be Condoleezza Rice so you know Condoleezza Rice uh, um has had such a, a great background as you know she was national security advisor to uh, George Bush uh, junior and uh then became Secretary of State, uh, President of Stanford, just a great, just a a great role model. Um, didn't come from uh, beginnings that were where she had a lot of wealth or privileges. She came from a very humble, very poor background, and made something of herself. And it's a great success story, especially for African Americans and for anybody to see that. You work hard enough, and you follow the rules, and you have goals and motivations, and you strive for something. You can make it. One of the things that struck me is, I remember um, back in the day uh, talking to uh, some folks from State Department of Diplomatic Security. So, for those of you, those of you, a lot of you know about this and who they are. Those of you who don't, within the State Department, they have um, an organization called Diplomatic Security. And these are sworn federal agents that are responsible for taking care of security for the State Department. They do a lot of things, investigations. One of the big things they do overseas is uh, for every embassy, there's a regional security officer, an RSO, and his or her staff. And they're responsible for the security of the embassy and its people, but also for American citizens living in the particular country where the embassy is located. A big part of what they do too is they provide protection. So like the Secret Service does for the president, uh, they provide protection for the Secretary of State. And so I was part of an organization called OSAC, uh, Overseas Advisory Council, which is the public sector, private sector partnership between folks like me when I was Chief Security Officer at Microsoft and uh, Diplomatic Security at State Department. And we would meet on a regular basis. A lot of us were on uh, this, uh, OSAC board, where we would look at helping each other, making sure that we're sharing information to protect American citizens abroad. And I remember having a discussion with some of the folks that had been on Condoleezza Rice's detail. And what was wonderful about it was she's a big NFL fan. And so, you know, on Sunday, she would ask for scores from some of the agents on her detail. And uh, she fancied herself, I think at one point, uh, becoming maybe commissioner of the NFL. And I mention this because you have, I've run into a, a fair amount of pompous people, both in private sector, but in government, who are in positions of authority, that when you are protecting them, they look like you are, you know, nothing, you're like you don't exist. Um, you're there to take a bullet for them, but they don't really care. You know, you're just, they consider you a nuisance, whereas, and they don't really engage. Where someone like Condoleezza Rice, completely different you know, understood the value of what these people brought to the table, that they were willing to die, protect her, um, and so she respected them and treated them like human beings the way she should, um, and was a, is a great role model, so i love to have her at the table. Sort of side by side, as I thought about Connie, I thought about Colin Powell. Now, those of you know me know that Colin Powell has been an influence on my life in terms of his writings and his leadership style for decades Uh, i remember waiting 1992 i was waiting uh in line at the old crown books was a chain in washington dc area and i was living there because i was still a cia waiting in line for a couple hours after he he wrote his first book to get a uh an autograph and it was you know and at that time there was speculation he was gonna run for president and i wish he had but he understood why he why he didn't um, he wanted a, a different kind of life. I think his wife did, too. But Powell and Condi are very much similar. Uh, you know, Powell uh, grew up, you know, in, uh, again, poor circumstances in, I believe it was Jamaica, New York, <laughs> and uh, made something. His parents, great parents, uh, nuclear family, made something of himself, ROTC. It was not West Point, uh, went to got commissioned as an officer. Um, and then went uh, to Vietnam and decorated for his service in Vietnam, and then worked his way up to become chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff during the first Gulf War, and then eventually, you know, uh, he was National Security Advisor, uh, President, and Sec- you know Secretary of State. I mean, his, his resume is is awesome, and I had the pleasure at a security conference. Uh, the organization called ASIS, American Society for Industrial Security, they have what they call a CSO roundtable. Uh, at the time, they call it uh, CSO Center. Uh, I think for excellence now, but at the roundtable, I was all uh, there would be. Besides the big events where keynote speakers speak to everybody, there'd be smaller events for the chief security officers, and uh, I was often asked to moderate uh, these sessions uh, and. Um, I remember being asked to moderate the session for Colin Powell, and I was elated. I was got to meet him, introduce him, uh, moderate the session in terms of the Q and A. Just his ability to think on his feet, his confidence. Um, he still had that, you know, military general presence, but he was uh, very engaging. And um, I really, I've always admired Powell. Uh, the Powell Thirteen Rules. I think I did a podcast on that. Uh, not too long ago, but the 13: Powell rules are still things that I adhere to today. Um, things like it'll you know, get it'll you know, look better in the AM, uh, you know, things things like that, um, and that leadership is lonely, and that you can have all kinds of uh, collaborative uh, experiences with your team and everybody else, but at the end of the day, you as a leader have to make the decisions for the uh, that will affect. Um, the betterment of the organization. And a lot of times you're going to make these decisions on your own and you'll take the hits if you're wrong and you'll get the accolades if you're right. And so he's, again, having him at the table, wow. You know, what a dinner, what a, what a dinner uh, uh, party uh, guest that would be. I I went back in time. Golda Meir. So Golda Meir was the first uh, prime minister of Israel. uh, The first and only. And, you know, I I often think about her. Uh, Israel has always had issues, you know, when protecting themselves and defending their homeland. And Golda Meir came in at a time when they were still under threat. And being the first female anything, there were those pressures of being the first female anything. She was a strong leader. She led her people through some tumultuous times. Uh, she was able to, you know, garner the support of people and also of you know, people that were opposing her for any number of reasons. Um, she's a role model, but I would love to pick her brain as to you know, why she got into this, uh, what, what, what propelled her, obviously nationalism and wanting to serve her country, but what propelled her to actually get into um, wanting to be prime minister and going for it and I, I just think it's 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 awesome. Um, I mean, if I could fill the table up, I'd also have Maggie Thatcher there, right? I think Margaret Thatcher is another person, the, the first prime minister in the UK. Uh, you know, the Iron Lady they called her, strong-willed, tough, a very good friend to the United States, good friend to Ronald Reagan. Um, stood her ground in the Falkland Islands. Anti-communist. And could hold her own. And when you talk about, you know, you look at, you've seen, you've seen those uh, videos of Parliament. Uh, they go at it, right? They go at it, you know, on each side, and and come after the prime minister. And she she held her own and developed a legacy uh, for not just female, but just all prime ministers in the UK. So Golda Meir, and and having her uh, um, uh, Maggie Thatcher at the table would be great. Another person, and this is a no brainer for those of you who've known me for a long time Ronald Reagan. I consider um, Lincoln to be our, our my favorite president. Um, I can't add everybody to the table. So for this time, Lincoln won't be at the table. But Ronald Reagan, I wanted him to be at the table. Um, while I was on the director of CIA security detail from 84 to 86, Reagan was in office, would often see him. You know, they're walking in the White House. We would deal with the uh, the uh, White House protective security detail a lot as we're bringing in Casey or going to events. Because Casey, our director, was a cabinet official uh, in Reagan's cabinet. So we went to the White House all the time. We went to a lot of uh, venues where Reagan was. Uh, the, you know, the classic, he's a great leader. They call him the great communicator because he could touch and You could relate to him as an american Uh, he was strong in terms of defense of the country he cared about people and um and great sense of humor you know and even after he was shot he still kept that great sense of humor uh and we knew a couple of people way back in the day who were on his detail when he got shot and they just completely admired a Ronald Reagan. I think, and can you imagine having Reagan at the table with Barack Obama? I suspect they would have more in common than they would have differences. Um, the, the, the 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 problem nowadays is that politicians on either side of the aisle um, they actually don't like each other. In some cases, they hate each other. Uh, and back in 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 the Reagan days, and I tell this story all the time. He and Tip O'Neill, who was the secretary, oh sorry, he was the Speaker of the House at the time, and Reagan, very much conservative and O'Neill, very much a liberal from Boston, Massachusetts, uh, didn't agree much on policy. And they could fight it out during the day. But during the night, you know, when they maybe Tip would come to the White House, or maybe Reagan would go to Capitol Hill, maybe they'd share a scotch or have a, or later on to play golf at some point, they would figure it out for the betterment of the country. And I suspect a person like Barack Obama who's very much wedded to obviously liberal principles and Reagan very much wedded to the conservative ideals. I suspect knowing, I don't know them, but studying them enough that their their souls, their spirits, the way they can look at America, I think they would be able to talk. It'd be a fascinating conversation to have both of them there. And I, I, think, it's, I think that would be great. So having uh, uh, Reagan at the table would be great. Harry Truman. I think Harry Truman, I, I I thought about why he would be at the table. A, a person that sort of, and I'm reading his biography now, but that, that didn't actually influence this. I, I've always admired Truman. He had a hard decision to make in World War II. He, you know, he followed Roosevelt after Roosevelt's death. The war was still on. And he had a hard decision to drop the atom bomb on Japan. Um, the decision was to let the war prolong for another couple of years where hundreds of thousands of Americans and Japanese would probably die as we were Americans and the Allies were closing in on, on Japan, on the the mainland itself, or ended with making a, the, the the hard decision to drop the nuclear bomb. Now, in hindsight, 2020, you'll find a lot of people nowadays say, oh, you shouldn't have done that, and that's a, that was the wrong thing to do. It ended the war, and uh, as much devastation as it caused, we eventually were able, as a as a as a country, to get Japan back on its feet to where it's now, you know, obviously a great power and also a great friend. But I would love to have him there to just pick his brain as to the his, his decision making uh, process of getting there. And I also love the fact that when he says the buck stops here, and he had that thing on his desk that said that. He meant it. And I, I like that about leaders. You have leaders that always talk about oh, the buck stops here, but every time the buck stops there, they always move the goalposts or they blame someone else. It's never their fault. And I hate leaders like that who it's never their fault. It's always somebody else's fault. They never take the responsibility for when things go south. They only like to take credit for good things. And Truman was a person who wasn't perfect. But when he said the buck stops here, he meant the buck stops here. I will take the hit for a decision that I make that I believe is the right thing to do. And if it's the wrong thing, okay, then I'll say it was wrong. And if it was the right thing, then I'll say it was the right thing. He was very plain spoken, uh, came from very humble origins uh, to become president. And I, and I would, again, love to have him there. Uh, another person I want there is Billy Graham. I think Billy Graham, you know, is, is America's evangelist. Uh, i I remember growing up going to a couple of his crusades in the Bay Area, and he you've got a lot of celebrity uh um, sort of uh preachers nowadays, and I don't broad brush anybody, so there are some good ones, and there are some ones that I eh, kind of stay away from. but he just taught the word of God and uh, the way he uh, the way he saw it, he taught salvation. there was no razzle dazzle. Uh, but he was a a, a quiet, um, yet very um, focused, mission-oriented individual to con- you know try to bring as many people to be saved uh, as possible. And he was you know obviously a counselor to many American presidents. Uh, and he was very well thought of. He led a very rich life, faith-filled life. Uh, not always, uh, uh, not always, you know, you know, good things happening. You know, there were, he, like everyone else, he had some bad, bad, bad times. But he kept the faith, literally, and grew um, his organization and the influence of his organization worldwide. Those crusades were global. And the lives he probably saved, not sorry, the lives he saved by, uh, by turning people into, you know, uh, showing them the word and and leading them to be saved, uh, I think is is phenomenal. So he, again, he'd be one at, at one at the table. Uh, Martin Luther King, uh, Martin Luther King is someone to be uh, admired for his uh, what is work work in the civil rights uh, world. And he was bucking the trend even in the black community then when Um, You you had Malcolm X, again, as somebody that I admire because Malcolm was able to kind of look at, you know, uh, civil rights from one lens, which is more agitation to moderating towards the end and including other people outside of uh, the black community to help. Um, But King was always into nonviolence and more the the Gandhi um, mode of, of, of fighting oppression. And obviously he spent time in jail, uh, wrote his letters from Birmingham jail, um, was beaten up, uh, but, he, but he stood for what he believed in. Not a perfect man, nobody is, but his influence on the Kennedys, his influence on getting the Civil Rights Act passed, his influence on changing uh, things uh, in the South and, and really spurring people to look at what was going on with black people and the Jim Crow South uh, it cannot be denied. And his speech when he, he went at the Washington uh, at the Lincoln Memorial uh, was is is still one of the bit finest speeches in American uh, history today. Uh, but to have him there at the table, talking about his experiences, um, what he felt, the fears he felt, how he overcame them, how he felt he could lead this movement, again the leadership thing uh is is really great, and then something uh the last one is something i, I stole actually from Judith uh, when we were just finishing up this uh, last meeting was um uh, uh, Paul Harvey. Uh, there are a lot of you who are younger who may not know Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey was a syndicated uh, columnist, a radio uh, host, and uh, he had he had this kind of wit. And common sense about him. And I can remember as a kid, it seemed to be always on Saturdays, like lunchtime, when um, Paul Harvey's broadcast would come on. My dad would always, my mom would listen to it, and I would listen to it. And he'd always end off with it Paul Harvey, good day. And I remember, but it was his vignettes about people his vignettes about America, and really talking about the goodness of America, the the, the possibility of America, uh, the inherent human kindness that that people can have, the the extraordinary things that people do for other people. And he would give examples of that. And he was on for, for decades and you know, he he um, he, uh, he reminds me of Will Rogers uh, back in the day. They had that same kind of wit about america and and this, you know this it, it was just they were very good at expressing themselves and being able to to tell a story and leave you inspired afterwards. Uh, in fact, I'm going to start listening to, because it's in the archives, you can find it, you know, on streaming, I'm going to start listening to Paul Harvey on a regular basis again, just, it just struck me, I, he he's somebody that I'd want at the table. So, can you imagine having all these people um, at the table, Bass Reed, Lee Child, um, Barack and Michelle Obama, uh, Ronald Reagan, Sandy Rice, Colin Powell, Golda Meir, Harry Truman, Billy Graham, uh, MLK, and uh, Paul Harvey, having them at the dinner table, man, that would be a, a great dinner table conversation. So I just thought I would talk about that and the reasons why i have these people around the table. And it's a great exercise, not just because it's fun to do, but the people that you uh, decide to have at the table also says something about you. You know, why? why are they important to you? Why, why them as not as opposed to somebody else right and keep it to 10 we, we, I think we did like eight with Judith but keep it to ten because there's so many people that you can add but just kind of look at 10 people and then uh, have this have a conversation and it'll it'll help inform you also of why you chose these people because it'll make you think about why so uh that's what I have for today uh again uh we're uh, we're getting things set for Another round of people coming in for interviews, and we're going to do some different things uh, moving forward. We're not just going to do the leadership um, subject. We're going to do, you know, some other things that I think just kind of widen uh, widen what we talk about and who we, we may bring on, uh, because I think it's it's just fun. Uh, I, I've been I've been enjoying doing these podcasts. I've been getting a lot of good feedback. Again, our subscribership is continues to grow. And I think it's because we're trying to keep this thing real. Um, we're not saying one size fits all when it comes to leadership uh, or that what I say is is gospel. Uh, this is Mike Howard speaking, but I'm enjoying uh, uh, interfacing with all of you. And so please um, uh, continue to subscribe, hit the like button, tell friends, family. I always say, tell your enemies about it because they probably need it more than you do. Uh, this podcast, go to MikeHowardAuthor.com amazon.com. Take a look at my books. Uh, I would encourage you to look at them, uh, read them, and then give me some reviews on uh, on Amazon. Helps me get better as an author and, uh, and helps me keep moving forward, keeps me motivated. So until then, uh, we'll take care. Uh, this is a Friday. I'm doing this on a Friday. So uh, have a great weekend and take care. Bye.